Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. All right, so this is a really cool episode of Discovered Wordsmiths. Today, uh, I have Jeff Strand back. Jeff was on back uh, episode 50, uh, talking to us about writing and going uh, to become a full-time author after writing for 20 years. Uh, and it, it, I love talking to Jeff. I love his books. Uh, I've, I've talked to him a couple times. I got to meet him this year. I think I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. This time, though, he got to do the novelization for Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Well, what better job that, than that could there be, right? I mean, this is a 40-year-old cult classic horror comedy that is very tongue-in-cheek, and he got to write a novelization for it. Now, if you've seen the movie, the first thought is, really? How the heck do you write a novelization for that movie? Exactly. And I think he did a wonderful job. It's a very funny book. In fact, I told him I thought it was his funniest so far. I, I enjoyed it immensely. So we have a good talk about the book, about the movie, writing the book, etc. So it's a different and interesting episode. What make, makes it even more special is my buddy Reese is on here. And that's because this was a big crossover event with Horror Lasagna podcast, where we interviewed Jeff about the movie and the novelization. And now I'm putting it here on Discovered Wordsmiths to talk about the book. Uh, but it's the same interview. We uh, I'm using it in both places. So it's a bit of a cheat, you might say. But if you don't watch uh, or listen to the Horror Lasagna podcast, uh, you get this one here. So other than that, this past weekend, I went up to Cleveland, uh, author friend Jay Thorne, who some of you may know, some of you may have heard me mention before. We had a writer's retreat with a couple other good writers, and it was focused on writing for the weekend. That was the focus. And it really uh, changed my writing this weekend. I got a lot more words than I normally do. I got more words on Saturday and Sunday than I normally get in a whole week of trying to put it, fit it in between work and everything else. So that was great. I, I got to start on a series that has been in the back of my mind, pounding away, wanting to come out, but I've wanted to get more of a town magician done before I started on it. And this weekend I said, I'm going to focus on it. So I got 5,000 words into the first book already. So I'm very happy with that. It was a great, weekend we went to a couple good places the uh museum art and did uh some writing there and uh he worked he has a what they call cohatch and it's rent space office space and you can go and work there uh shared space and it it was great on a sunday to sit there and work we could all spread out so we weren't bugging each other but you know we were close so we ate together we talked if we had problems we also went into chat gpt quite a bit uh, Jay has been working on something with that, and he's showed us what he's been working on. So it was really cool to see what he's doing with ChatGPT, and it really gave me some thoughts and ideas like, oh, man, I'm such a 
database computer person and I've learned to use Google and Bing and all of those to a certain level with a certain way of using them that I'm still using chat GPT in that method in that way. But the way Jay was doing it, it is totally different. There's totally much more of a conversation uh, that he was doing. And I need to break my barriers in my mind to be able to use the tool in that way as effectively as Jay was showing us. So it was a great weekend. I'm sure I'll talk more about that or things will come up about it. But for this episode, uh, I want you to sit back and listen to the uh, Jeff Strand talk about his novelization. And if you've never seen Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, go out and check it out. Uh, no, it's not the biggest budget. No, it's not uh, for everybody. It's a tongue-in-cheek cult classic. Treat it like that. It's funny in that way. So here we go. I appreciate this. It's great to see you again. I told you I was going to bug you, warned you about that. Reese knows what that's like. Briefly, we've been, so Reese and I have known each other our whole lives. He's one of those people who's had to put up with me way longer than most. One of those um, people. One of those people. And he's watched so many movies, I'll never even catch up with horror movies, but we've always talked about watch horror movies. So we started this podcast to talk about horror movies that most people may not know about. And we've never done an, an, a third person with interview type thing at all. So this is totally new for us. It, who knows what rails it might go off of. But we, oh, see, Reese just dropped, which has happened before with his work as a VPN and sometimes it'll kick in and suddenly he drops, he'll be back. But anyway, so the way we normally handle a, a, an episode is he does a lot of background research and we talk about, hey Reese, we talk about the directors, the actors, how much money, the awards and all of that, which he and I are going to do for Killer Tomatoes at some okay. point and join it with this. But I thought it'd be great just for the three of us to talk in general about the movie, what we like, what we don't like, any comments about it, and pick your brain a bit about why you like it and how you got this job, et cetera. So we'll just, we actually came up with a few questions ahead of time because we like to seem almost professional at that. All right. We ready? Obviously, I'll edit all that garbage out. Oh, no. There goes Reese again. If Reese disappears, we can blame the tomatoes. Wow, you are like super loud, Reese. All right. Hey, Jeff, say something. So I can Hello. Take the killed tomatoes. No, you disappeared now. I wait, wait, sorry. I hit mute on me. All right, so are we all good? I'm good. You couldn't tell we work with tech, huh? All right, so this is a special episode. It's not even one of our bonus episodes, Reese. This is just a special episode. It'll take the place, the highest place of honor amongst all our episodes. It is. We're going to do this with Discovered Wordsmith also. So, Jeff, you get to be on my other podcast twice. You're one of the lucky okay. handful. Before we get rolling, everybody knows me and Reese, all four people in Remotion that listen to us. Hello. So first of all, we've got a guest, Jeff Strand. So Jeff, tell everybody a little bit about who you are, and then we can start making fun of you. I'm a writer. I've written a little over 50 books. My most recent one was... Demonic. The Killer Tomatoes, the novelization, which I assume will come up at some point during this discussion. Oh, we probably should have thought to talk about that. I've done some young adult comedy pretty much all over the place, but mostly horror comedies where I'm at. And I know I've mentioned you to Reese and others a couple times that I just fell in love with your books. And I texted you the other day. I said, 
oh my God, I'm reading Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and it's your best one. I am out loud laughing and I'm reading it to my son, just bits and pieces, and he's laughing just listening to the little bits I put. We want to talk a little bit about the movie and the novelization a bit. My first question, Reese, oh, you had a couple questions, background, still does. I didn't know any different. So I, I was born in Baltimore, but I grew up in Alaska from six months old till 15. So I didn't know any different. So the fact that it is light 24-7 during the summer does not weird to me. That's just the way it is. The fact that it gets, I would get on the bus to go to school and be pitch black. And then by the time I got on the bus to come home from school, pitch black, there are a little bit of daylight in the middle. So the long nights during the winter, the long days during the summer, that was just the way things were. So people would visit in the summer and like, how can you sleep? It's four in the morning and it is bright out. And you know, But that, none of that stuff was weird to me. What was what I realized was the most weird and didn't impact me at all growing up was in Fairbanks, you were in Fairbanks. So like right now I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I think nothing, of, I'll drive to Nashville. Tomorrow I'm going to go to Atlanta, Knoxville. The whole continental United States is at my disposal without it being that big of a trip. Whereas in Fairbanks, Fairbanks was the only place I was unless we took a vacation to Anchorage, which was like six or eight hours. So there were tiny little towns that were basically a gas station and maybe a restaurant. But for the most part, if you were a resident of Fairbanks, that's where you spent all your time because there weren't other cities that you could just drive to on a casual basis. Yeah, <laughs> I talked to a lot of Canadian authors and it's the same thing. They're like, yeah, I got a favorite bookstore. It's three and a half hours north of me. I'm like, do you have anything closer? No, that's like the closest. And I thought it was bad here driving eight miles to get to the grocery store. Yeah. Um, Fairbanks had everything. It had a movie theater, it had bookstores, it had restaurants, but you just, there was nothing beyond the boundaries of it. So did, I know we go a little south here into Amish country and there's lots of places that have horse and buggy set up. So did they actually have like dog sled setups that people drive to the movie theaters to see the movies? No, you had dog sleds that were people training for the Iditarod race, but you didn't have people who were dog sledding as a means of transportation. Oh, there you go. See, my, my fantasies are gone. Yeah. This was Fairbanks, which is the second biggest city. If you're in Anchorage, it's basically like any other big city. Fairbanks was quite a bit smaller, but yeah, you didn't have the mush, let's go to the movies type thing. The Riker from Star Trek was from Fairbanks, so good company. Yeah. <laughs> And he did live in Kent for a while, which is one of the reasons I went, when after I read his, the one book, Cyclops Road, I went, oh my God, this guy like was in Kent about the same time I was living in this area. And we're like two days apart. Reese, you call me old man because we're like five months apart. Jeff is actually two days older than me. So I'm not the oldest anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, look at that. All right. So first of all, the movie itself. Now, I know a lot of people probably haven't seen the movie, which is good. That's what we want. We want movies like that. It is not your typical horror movie, especially for what Reese and I do. It's comedy. Jeff, how would you describe the movie and what you enjoy it with it? You know, it's just, it's as silly as you would think from Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It's weird seeing stuff saying, you know, it's one of the worst movies ever made where they don't acknowledge that it's a comedy. It's not a straightforward movie about killer tomatoes. It wasn't some guy saying, we're going to make the scariest movie ever about killer tomatoes. It, it's a goofy comedy from beginning to end. It's just 
joke. Not every joke lands, but a lot of them really do. Even 45 years later, there's lots of genuinely funny stuff in the movie. And it, some of the jokes are overplayed. Some of the, it's not a flawless masterpiece of cinematic comedy, but it really works. I think I love the movie. I think it's really entertaining and fun. Absolutely agree. If you like airplane movies, there's probably a lot in this you like. But the funny thing is, I like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but I'm not as big on airplane. I, I never. I love found... airplane too. So See, airplane, I... Naked Gun, all those movies—they're all in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I'm weird. I know my son tells me I'm a weirdo for not liking them, and I'm like, I don't know. I, when I saw them, I guess I didn't find them funny, so it just stuck. But I have like to you agree said, with your son here. So, <laughs> like you said, with Killer Tomatoes, it. It's got some things in it that are very subtle and you have to really pay attention sometimes to pick up on them. Uh, it, there's a few jokes that are a little outdated, let's say nowadays, it probably would get people upset. But the stupid little things like they go into that conference room and it's so narrow, they have to crawl across the table, but they don't make a big show of it other than if you think about it. Or when the Japanese guy hits the picture and it's the Arizona and it falls in a fish tank. And right. the funniest part for that for me is there's no fish tank in the room so where did that fall into the fish tank that it's little things like that i think are great yeah the conference room is great because it doesn't overplay it's not like wacky music like, wah, 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 nah, nah, nah. Right. it's just people trying to retain their dignity while they get seated in a room that's way too small for them right would you like reese yeah. right mad magazine was superior though yeah, yeah. So watching the movie, Jeff, and I've read the book, watched the movie now. I told Reese I owe him a copy of the book because it's just pretty fantastic. He'll love it. How did you come about and get this? Okay, first of all, if anybody hasn't read the book, we're trying not to get Jeff arrested, so we won't mention him killing Mr. Tomato Book Writer. But that right there made me laugh. That was the prelude, and you just flowed right in with the feel of the whole movie, and then each scene you expanded on. So... Let's back up. How did you get the gig? Why did you want to do it? And what took so long? This is like a 40-year-old movie. Part of it was, you know, it would be a really fun book to adapt because the book, is, the movie is just all jokes. I'd love to do an adaptation of Airplane, too. They'll never let me do it, but that would be... So what really happened was I was thinking of what to tweet, what will amuse my Twitter followers. And so I just said, how is it possible that no one is invited me to do a Attack of the Killer Tomatoes novelization. Not, it was not meant to be a legitimate solicitation of work. It was just something funny to tweet. And then Mark Miller at Encyclopocalypse Books sent me a private email and said, hey, if you're serious about that, I'll see what I can make happen. Yeah. And then within a few weeks, I was on a Zoom call with the filmmakers who were all in. My resume is pretty good for someone to write an Attack of the Killer Tomato. It's not, oh man, let's take a shot on this guy who has no experience in that particular genre. It's like, when it was announced, people were like, yeah, Jeff Strand, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> if it was Jeff Strand doing Casablanca, he'd be like, wait, what? But Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is something that I can pull off. Basically, they, the only request they had was keep it as family-friendly as the movies. The movie, it's a it's PG, but it's 1978 PG, so it'd be a fairly strong PG-13 now. So I kept to that, which is what I would have done anyway. And I basically pitched it as I'm going to treat it like you guys had Marvel Cinematic Universe money to make the original movie. And so they were all in, and 
I was set free to write Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. No, there was nothing. And I treat it as a self-contained, because original, my original thought was I'm going to weave in elements of all the movies and the cartoon series and all that. And I thought, no, because if this is successful, if someone else wants to do Return of the Killer Tomatoes, I don't want to step on their toes. So there are no George Clooney jokes or Professor Gangrene isn't in it. I basically, I decided I would stick exclusively to the first movie and not mess with what other people might want to do if there is a future of more Attack of the Killer Tomatoes novels. But yeah, they, there was no, you need, these characters need to be in it. You need to stick to this. It, I did a short story that never got published for a major video game franchise. And they were very strict. Well, these characters need to be handled this way. What happened ultimately was that the story went to their lore person who said, that's not really the direction we want to take with this character. And I got paid in full, but they didn't use the story. Tomatoes, not like that. It was have fun. We trust you. They read it. It wasn't like they ha- they have read the book. They love it, but there no, no, no handcuffs. No stick to this. Just have fun. Which is good because, like I said, I read it and I was laughing. And I love your books, and this one just made me laugh even more than normal. So just you had a structure, but you were able to do what you wanted with it. I think it worked really well. But the weird thing to me was why choose a movie novelization now? Because they're not that popular. They used to be way more popular, but nobody sees too much, especially for a low budget movie from 40 years ago. It's a super interesting choice because it fits us well. And the fact that we're talking about this low budget movie that had sequels, Reese, I mean, that's, 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 so why, I know it was like, hey, let's make this happen. Why do you think they wanted to do it in a movie well, novelization? Apocalypse has done some vintage novelizations. So they brought back some that were written at the time, but they've also gone back and done Creature and stuff like that. And they're, they've announced a few more. They're doing Nailgun Massacre and Dead Girl and Redneck Zombies. So they're, there's a little bit of a niche market. We don't know how big it is. It's too early to gauge the success level of stuff like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. But really, it was just a fun thing. It's I think you need to pick movies that people can see the novelization potential in. Like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, it's, it's going to be a really dumb book. It's just goofy fun. It's not meant to be a literal page. It doesn't follow the previous trend in novelizations, which were you have seen the movie in the theater, you're never going to see it again unless it goes into a second run, but you've got the novelization. So you can relive the story of E.T., the extraterrestrial, whenever you want in book form. Whereas now it's just you have to bring something more to it. So it's not meant to just be a transcript of Attack of the Killer Tomato. It's basically all new jokes, unless I took their joke and use it to springboard to something else. Because the jokes in the movie are perfectly good. My job was not to retell stuff that already works in the movie. My job was to take the framework of the movie and expand on it and do all new jokes. And even there, though, the two I thought of reading it, the one with the bad Japanese overdub with the guy's lips moving and then you hear a voice say, and then I said, and that cracked me up because obviously the Godzilla movies and everything else. But then the musical number, I don't know if I've ever read such a great retelling of a musical number in a novel format. And you did that great, expanded that scene, wonderful. So I think you broke new ground. You pioneered a new modern 
modern novelization of a movie because you know the stuff makes you laugh in the movie if you have twisted minds like some of us but again the book just expanded on all of that making it even funnier i think yeah what i wanted it to be the best way to read the book you can read it without any prior tomatoes experience the best way to do it is to have freshly seen the movie because a lot of it is callbacks to the film so the optimal way to experience it, you watch the movie and then you go right into the book. And then I think it, there's a lot of stuff that works even better in that context. But yeah, the point, again, it's not to, you, you can watch Attack of the Killer Tomatoes whenever you want. It's on streaming. You can get the multiple DVDs. There's the big collector's edition. It's very easily accessible. So what I wanted to do was give the book its own identity. It works as a separate, but it's completely linked to it. It's not... I love Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. This wasn't me being better than the movie. This was having fun with various aspects of it and trying to get a very similar tone with a completely different experience. Not really because I've got experience in it. This, there's a reason I was the right guy to write this book. So I've done my adult horror comedy novels. I try to treat the horror legitimately, but have lots of laughs. But I've done young adult books that are just joke. So I've done, it's not, if you read Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and then you read my book, A Bad Day for Voodoo, there's, you can see there's still the meta element. And so I've, I have done books that are just pure comedies all the way through. So it wasn't like, okay, how am I going to tackle this? I have that level of experience. It's hard. It's not, oh yeah, I could just easily knock this. It's a, it was a fun book to write. It is when you are doing something that is just joke after joke and you're not letting the characters or the story carry you through, because I'm. I'll be honest, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the novelization, you're not going to get deeply invested in these characters. I don't care if it's funny or not. I just I need to know what's going to happen to this guy. That's not the experience you're going to get with it. And it's it's not a scary book. It's just as funny as I could possibly make it. So yeah, you do need to keep the pacing up. You, it creates a scenario like, like the movie Airplane, like the movie Naked Gun, like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. You can't let up on the laughs because the book doesn't have the framework to allow you to say, let's just cool down for a couple pages. No, it has to be nonstop throughout, which is not for everyone, but the people who love it. Which actually you even, you do a lot of fourth wall breaking in the book and you even reference that. Okay, Mr. Author, now maybe we should slow this chapter down and not put so many jokes. So the joke was the not doing yeah. so many jokes, which I thought was pretty, pretty brilliant. And Reese, so... We talk a lot about the special effects in movies and the special effects in this one obviously is not computer graphics and they do it wonderfully though, because they don't try and make all these big, scary looking tomatoes. They just take like garden tomatoes and put them on the ground and overdub it with what, what are thoughts on the special effects? I know a lot of people would say this movie sucks, like you said, because the special effects suck, but I think the special effects are part of the comedy. Yes. Which is something we would have done. Right. Yeah. In the grocery store. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Jeff, I know some of Reese's favorite movies, like all 1,200 of them. What are some of your other favorite horror movies? Shaun of the Dead is my favorite horror movie and favorite movie. So it works brilliantly as a comedy and brilliantly as a horror movie so it's not like attack of the killer tomatoes that in Shaun of the dead it's really funny but you're also fully invested in the characters when things get serious there are actual stakes so that's my number of, i'll swing over to my 
poster. And then Return of the Living Dead, one of my all-time favorites. That one, I think, to me, that's the 80s horror movie that holds up the best. I think it still plays just as well now, even though a lot of the stuff that they originated is now zombie lore. It's the fast zombies, that Return of the Living Dead. That wasn't 28 Days Later. That was Return of the Living Dead. The fact that they... hit to the brain won't kill them that you have to dismember them the fact that they the meta aspect the fact that this is based night of the living dead was just a movie so the character is referring to night of the living dead so it's got all kinds of talking zombies it's got all kinds of stuff that was done later but it does it all in one movie so that's one of my all-time favorites i love the original texas chainsaw massacre that's probably my favorite just straight horror movie Although that has lots of dark comedy too. It's got the funniest line of any movie of look what your brother did to the door. That (laughs) one line is the most perfect comic relief line ever because it's completely logical in a movie where suddenly logic shouldn't apply. Right. So it's like, you've got this guy wearing human skin chainsawing a door and of course, you're going to be upset that this guy chainsawed your door. But in the context of the movie, you don't think they care about their door. So then to have, look what your brother did to the door, just suddenly takes you back to the reality of the situation. It is absolutely brilliant. Original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then there's, as for more obscure stuff that maybe not a lot of people have seen, May, one of my all-time favorites. Good. Lucky McKee with Angela Bettis. That, I saw that at a film festival and it rocketed to the all-time favorites and there's a lower much much lower budget we called found which is just one of the darkest and most i don't know that one disturbing things that's something good you should definitely check it out yeah reese yeah reese always makes notes of any he hasn't seen and then we'll watch movies and ref here's 20 other similar ones jeff have you seen todd in the book of pure evil i have not i've heard it's really good it yeah it, <laughs> we enjoyed watching we reviewed it enjoyed it and another one that comes to mind phantom of the paradise yes i hadn't i phantom of the paradise is something i'd been wanting to see for a really long time and back when i first saw the documentary tear in the aisles they had a clip from it and it's where he hit i think garrett graham in the mouth with the toilet plunger <laughs> and I'm like, I have to see this movie, but I didn't know what movie it was. And they didn't, the documentary didn't identify the clips. So I would watch the end credits. They had the long list of all the clips. Like, I don't know which one it is. I don't know which one it is because I haven't seen all these movies. So I finally discovered that it was Phantom of the Paradise, but I could never find it on video. I finally saw it at, about three years ago in the actual movie theater. They, wow. A theater in Atlanta played it, so I went. So my first experience with Phantom of the Paradise was seeing it on the big screen with a big crowd, and it was wonderful. It lived up to all my- Right. <laughs> Not in our basement in the dark, right? <laughs> like most of the bad horror movies we've watched through the years. What else you got, Reese? I know you had a whole list. I've jumped in. Yeah. Right. I did not. I'm not sure what that is. No, I spent too much time in movie theaters and bookstores. I missed out on the fingers. No, I won't see them. Three of them. But really, how many people can you go up to and say, have you seen Mary Box Fingers? Oh, yeah, I've been there. You get, no, what's that? Let me tell you. On the presentation of doing something that they haven't done. I I love doing that. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's not as much fun. I use Cemetery Dance. It's published very infrequently now. It's still a print magazine. I got the latest issue a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I used to get tons of them. I would go to the bookstore and there'd just be a whole rack of horror fiction magazines and I would read a lot of new stuff that way. Now I really don't. Now I either read anthologies or just novels. So yeah, it's it was more fun to... I wasn't getting published regularly back in those days, so I would get lots of rejections. So I have, I don't have a big stack of literary magazines I've been in. I have a big stack of rejections from magazines. <laughs> it's still, it's more fun to see your story in an actual printed magazine. But it's yeah. like the fake money drop off. You take all your rejections, put them in between the two magazines you've been in. And so it looks like you have a huge pile of these literary magazines. Oh, there goes Reese again. <laughs> He'll be back, I'm sure. <laughs> We'll just keep going and we'll pretend he's a ghost or whatever. So, Jeff, for people listening, we asked you a little bit about yourself. What books would you recommend that someone start with? I discovered Cyclops Road because I got a free copy. I've told you that. Oh, look, a free horror movie or book. I'll take it. So what books do you recommend? Of my own, generally, I would interrogate them. Okay, do you want the goofier stuff or do you want the more serious stuff? In the absence of any information... I generally go with Wolf Hunt, which is a super violent comedy horror we- crime werewolf book. So that's right. kind of like my default. I also sometimes will say Autumn Bleeds into Winter, which is a coming-of-age thriller, or Allison, which is a telekinetic horror thriller. Lots of humor in all of those. Yeah, so I, I just Allison like, up. Dweller is one of my most popular books, but it's also sort of an outlier because it's very sad. And I don't generally do bummer books, but Dwellers a bummer book. So that probably is my most the most popular thing I've ever written with readers, but it's not necessarily my starting place. And stuff like Pressure, again, that was one of my most popular ones, but it's also very dark and intense. And so I, if you're like, okay, what best exemplifies what a Jeff Strand book is? And I'm all over the place, but I generally would say, okay, Wolf Hunt, Allison, or Autumn Bleeds in the Winter. I haven't read Allison or Autumn Bleeds. I did pick up Allison when I saw you, but Wolf Hunt and Forbidden Forest and Blister. I like those. Forbidden Forest and Wolf Hunt, I've got those on audio and I've listened to them a couple times. Oh, cool. Uh, because they're good, fun to listen to. They crack me up still. And it's also at the Scares That Care, which you were recently at when I saw you. Armin Shimmerman was there and he wrote some what I call fan fiction alternative Shakespeare history. And those are much heavier to read. And I even commented, I said, yeah, I liked reading the first one. I said, but it, it takes so much brain power to read it. I said, I need to get something that a little more fun and easier to read. And your stuff has fit that perfectly. Plus then I've gone back multiple times. So for everybody listening, you got a favorite movie, horror movie that we've done. You watch, great. Here's some favorite horror books to add to that collection. You actually have one. I didn't know that. Awesome. Thank you. What's, you've got some other great titles like Dead Clown Barbecue, which I've got digitally, haven't read yet. Was that one of the Mayhem books or not? Or is that an anthology? No, Dead Clown Barbecue is a short story collection. Okay. I've got five Five of my books are just collections of short stories. It's Gleefully Macabre Tales, Dead Clown Barbecue, Everything Has Teeth, Candy Coated Madness, and Freaky Briefs. And the others are not novels. Okay. And then one nonfiction book, The Writing Life. Which, again, for all the writers, if I put this up on my writer thing, I, is my 
I have two writer books that are go-tos that I have both read both of them a couple times. And one was Stephen King's on writing. I think his beginning autobiography part is just great read to listen to. It's not dry or anything. And then the advice, yeah, that's okay. But then the other one is your writing life because it's so personal and down to earth and makes me laugh while also making me feel better. Yeah, I had a really crappy day. I feel like the worst writer in the world. I'll read some Jeff Stram because he'll make me feel a little better about my life. And it actually has. So you've That's what it's supposed to be. It's not a book about here's how to write the perfect query letter or here's how to create characters that, you know, come to life. It's meant to be, here's what it's like if you do a book signing and no one shows up. And here's how to cope with rejection. It's kind of like the real stuff about being a working writer who is not making $100 million a year. Which I absolutely love because that's why I started the podcast because I was tired of going into all those Facebook groups of people going, Hey, look at the hundred thousand I made this month on the three yeah. books I've written. And I'm going, I can't relate to that. And I'm looking around and there's 50,000 people here. You can't tell me 50,000 authors can relate to that. And that was the genesis of the podcast. All right. What you got anything else to add to this conversation, Reese, before we let Jeff go? I do not. I have lots of movie stuff going on. Like there's actually really cool stuff happening at this very moment that I'm not allowed to talk about, but Blister is not one of them. So that would be a Blister. Blister, it's really, it's one of my best-selling novels, but the movie interest has been almost non-existent. So I've got lots of cool stuff going on, but yeah, if, if there's a movie being made of Blister, they've either done it without telling me or it's someone else. Blister is an interesting book of yours too, because it's not super dark, but it's also not super funny, but it definitely is that just because someone doesn't look like you, watch how you treat them. <laughs> now, as you were leading up to the question, I was ready to say yes, but I can confirm nothing. But no, I can officially deny. Hopefully this will be outdated and the Blister will have been this massive success. He was lying. No, I'm not involved <laughs> in a Blister movie at this point. Well, as soon as a big one comes out, we'll review it and we'll, right. we'll do a link between this one. And then we'll get you back on to tease you about it. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> well, that's how we work. <laughs> All right, Jeff. I appreciate you taking some time chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we'll let you know when the episode goes live. You can hear about all the background stuff that we discovered and then tell us about the things we didn't know. All right. Thanks, sir. Thank you. See you guys. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over a hundred episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, 
it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out. Discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.